Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sermon text today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, especially these words, strive to build up the church. There is no medicine more valuable, none more efficacious, none more suitable for curing all of our temporal ills than that of a friend. That's a quote from Geoffrey Chaucer. In other words, he sees friendship as that one thing that can help us in any circumstance, no matter what might ill us. But so often we go without friendship. In fact, those words might be pretty strange for us today, or to see friendship in that way, it might be pretty odd. We know places of loneliness well, and we can guess where loneliness happens because it abounds around us. One such place is a nursing home. And so it is then that a group of researchers went into a nursing home with these things called sociable robots. Sociable robots. These sociable robots are basically dolls that look like baby seal pups, like a stuffed baby seal. And they have these big, big eyes. And whenever you talk to them, they nod as if they're understanding what you're saying. And so a group of researchers went in and handed these out in a nursing home, especially among those patients who didn't have too many visitors. And they were amazed at what they saw. Because these people who had these were just pouring out their stories. There's one lady in particular. She was talking so fervently to her little seal pup. And the seal pup kept nodding its head as if it understood. And you could tell that she was really connecting with it. She told the tale of her whole life to this little stuffed robot thing. As I mentioned, all the researchers were impressed except for one, a lady by the name of Sherry Turkle. She is a professor at MIT, and she writes oftentimes about the advantages and disadvantages of technology, especially social media. She's had several tech talks, and she wrote the book Alone Together. And She said that as she was there watching this, she wasn't amazed, she was horrified. Because while this woman was sharing her very soul with this robot stuffed animal, she recognized that that thing couldn't live, would know nothing of death or pain or joy or sadness. It was a forced connection, not a real one. In our world, we have many of those. In our world, we live with fewer and fewer friendships, fewer and fewer real, genuine connections around us. And it's interesting that at the same time, while our culture is wrestling with being alone, our culture also questions what the value of church is. But we know differently. We know how good it is when you are praying with two, three, or even more individuals and you're pouring out your heart in prayer, and you hear through them the voice of Jesus speak, Amen, let it be so. You know what it's like to wrestle with the Word of God together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and then there is one who the Spirit has given a little bit of wisdom or insight to, who speaks a word that edifies you and your faith. You know what it's like to see the love of God the Father abound as you together with your brothers and sisters in Christ serve your neighbor, 
And you know what joy there is as you come together with your other fellow believers and bend the knee at the altar and receive Christ's body and blood. That same Lord offering his forgiveness for all your sins together. Why do we need church? Because in church, we don't have those shallow kind of relationships. You know the kind where it's like, oh, I think I used to work with that person. Or, oh, I I think our daughters were on the same soccer team. Or, honey, I read in the paper that the Williamsons just knocked over a gas station. Didn't they used to be our neighbors? Those relationships exist in our world, certainly, but they are not founded upon Christ. And it's not to say that that the time we spend pursuing friendships, traveling together with parents for a sports team, or working with somebody for decades, or, or just getting to know our neighbors and having them over for dinner, that those relationships aren't good and valuable and necessary relationships, but how much more value do they have when those relationships become built also upon God's Word? When you recognize that in the person that you are talking with, traveling with, meeting with, eating with, is somebody who you will spend eternity with. And that's where Paul has been going in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. We've spent a few weeks in these chapters, and Paul is striving to build up the church. Paul is striving to allow fellowship to exist, clearing away the lanes of selfishness so that love might flow between brother and sister and brother and brother and sister and sister in Christ. Paul is talking about things that are a little bit odd for us to hear. He's talking about speaking in tongues. He's talking about prophecy. If you read or heard the epistle reading today, some of those things might sound strange to you. In the Corinthian church, what was going on was that there were people who were being blessed with these amazing gifts from the Spirit, the ability to speak in tongues, the ability to prophesy. And those gifts might be very different from what we have in the church today. But in pursuing these gifts... The church was trampling over each other. There were individuals who were standing up, creating chaos because they were speaking in a tongue that nobody can interpret or prophesying out of turn when nobody was expecting or ready to hear a word. I would suggest today that we actually have an opposite problem where Paul is trying to say, hey, let's create good order in the church. Let's, Let's let everybody take their turn. If you speak in tongues, you better have somebody who can interpret so that everyone can be built up by the word of God. I think where you have a Corinthian church that is speaking too much, striving, and then they're striving, growing self-righteous and prideful, today I think you have a church that oftentimes misses out on all those opportunities to build each other up. It's not in what we're saying, it's in what we don't say. And so this is why as we read 1 Corinthians 14 today, I would encourage you, if you are a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, I, I would encourage you to pour in your creativity to look at the scriptures and to be ready and prepared for, for your lessons each and every time so that the gospel might be clearly proclaimed. So that that opportunity you have to build each other up is taken advantage of. If you are a parent or a grandparent, Spend time in the Word of God so that you might be ready to answer that tough question that a child might bring to you. Or you can call your pastor and he can shrug over the phone and say, I don't know either, but at least you would have called. That'd be nice. My phone's on. (laughs) When you pray, pray in the name of Jesus so that when that prayer is answered, you and everyone around you knows who to give thanks to. 
we have these opportunities to build each other up, oftentimes we just leave them behind. We don't take them. I'll give you an example of how it can work, though. There's Acts chapter 2. And we're looking at the day of Pentecost now. The day of Pentecost is 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. It was an annual festival that happened in Jerusalem where, where people from all the surrounding nations would gather together to celebrate the harvest that had just been taken in at that time of year. And here were the disciples in Jerusalem, and a mighty wind tore through the streets of the city, shook the house where the disciples were, and it was such a powerful wind, so mighty and violent, that people who were just staying in Jerusalem gathered together to find out what was going on. And they find themselves outside of the place where the disciples were. And there's the disciples are standing in front of this crowd. Tongues of fire fall upon the disciples, and they begin speaking in different tongues, different languages. Languages that were recognized by the people who had come to Jerusalem from outside. But the difficulty was is that these tongues were hard to understand because even if you knew one of the disciples who was speaking your language, you still had to hear him over the top of everybody else. It sounded like a, it sounded like a great clamor, like babbling. Some people even thought the disciples were drunk. But this sign came so that prophecy might be fulfilled, that in the last days God would pour out his spirit. But that in itself wouldn't have been enough to create a healthy, thriving church. It's Peter then who stands up after all the babbling and all the different languages. And he says, look, men of Jerusalem, listen up here. We're not drunk. I've always wanted to start a sermon like that. You have no idea. You have no idea. I've always wanted to get up one day and start a Sunday morning by saying, brothers and sisters, I'm not drunk. You're not drunk. Nobody's drunk. Let's go on with the sermon. I might do it. You've been warned. Then Peter moves on to convict the people of their sin, clearly saying, you killed the Lord of life. These people in Jerusalem, they crucified Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And when the folks who heard this were struck to the heart, they were led to repentance. And so it is Peter who tells them clearly, repent and be baptized. It's that clear proclamation that clear telling of the gospel that laid the foundation for what happened next. Beginning with Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see that, that the disciples and all the believers gathered together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of the bread. Yes, that means meals, but if we read deeply, we also see communion happening in those words. We see miraculous signs and wonders happening in this church. We, we see also people caring for each other sacrificing for each other, loving one another. And daily, people were being added to their number. A church that is built upon the gospel, clear proclamation of Jesus who died and rose again. A church that continues to build each other up in that message is a healthy church. And a healthy church is a witness the world, all on its own. A healthy church is a witness to the world, all on its own. And I believe that there are a few passages that are more convicting for us to hear than what we read at the end of Acts chapter 2. Because in this age, in this era, we have relationships that we love to control. 
If somebody calls me over the phone, I have caller ID. I can decide whether I'm going to take that call or not take that call, listen to the voicemail or not listen to the voicemail. I can ignore an email or a text quite easily. I can hang up the phone whenever I feel like the conversation needs to be done. I can delete any email that comes my way that I don't like. I have a carefully sculpted and crafted image of myself on social media where I only share what I want other people to see. In our culture, we control our relationships to the utmost. So then, to hear this, perhaps it does make our hearts burn a little bit. Because in Jesus, we don't have all these mediators between us. To communicate now, it's, it's either we, we, we talk into a phone and that, 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 phone, it, that, that voice is sent across a network and it goes to the next device, or we send a text where, where the text on the screen, then we hit the send button, and then through a network, and then to somebody else's device. We have all these mediators between us for all the basic communication we need. But in Jesus, there's only one mediator who stands between us. And that mediator, Jesus Christ, stands between you and me, not to keep us apart, not, to, not because if he doesn't, all war will break out, but instead he stands there so that you and I might see each other for who we really are. We have Jesus standing between us as a mediator so that you and I might recognize each other for who we really are. That I might see you as my brother or sister in Christ and you might see me as your brother in Christ. If he were not standing there, I would not be able to recognize that truth. I might see your sins. I might see the parts of you that, that, that create division or, or create conflict in me. And I can choose to focus on those things. But when I see you in Christ, I have to recognize that your sinful nature and my sinful nature are not going to win the battle. The greater part of your identity is Jesus Christ because he is the more powerful part of your identity. Your sinful nature is being swept away underneath the current of His precious blood. Who you really are is a brother or sister in Christ. That connection draws us close. That connection is scary. Referring just real quickly back to Sherry Turkle, the person that we talked about at the beginning of this sermon, she also has another comment to make, or another little anecdote. She, she talks about a time where she met an 18-year-old who said, you know, I hope one day I can learn real conversation. And I say that not to make fun of the younger generation, because actually what he's talking about is a problem that we all have. And if you don't, believe me, you do. No matter what age you are or what generation you belong to. He merely highlights it with his words, but we all suffer in the same way. He says, I hope one day to have real conversation." And she said, well, what do you mean? Like, well, I don't really feel like I need to have real conversation, face-to-face -face conversation with people. There's lots of ways to communicate anymore. But to have real conversation, you know, means that I'm talking to that person. If I have conversation with that person, talking to them face-to-face, -face, I'm afraid I might mess up. If he doesn't talk in a way he can control, he's afraid he might mess up. And maybe that's sometimes how we treat our fellowship. We want to control it. So we come, we do our thing, and we leave. That's what we're comfortable with. We just do what's asked of us, and then we go on, never thinking about it in between, forgetting sometimes even our brothers and sisters in prayer throughout the week.
not always recognizing the truth that we are joined together always, wherever we are, by Christ who stands between us. So I want to challenge you this week so that every opportunity might be taken to build each other up. We have small groups. Take advantage of those. We have other opportunities where perhaps you can just pray for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Go up to somebody you don't know. and Say hello. And that might be the beginning of a relationship where one day that person will tell you about Jesus and remind you again of his love for you when you most need it. God does like to work that way. And if all that stuff is too hard, if you're not an extrovert and you're thinking, I'm not going to do any of that, I don't really like meeting new people, then I challenge you to at least do this. Today, when you leave, or whenever you leave your small group, or whenever you leave the next thing you do amongst other believers in Jesus, just stay 60 seconds longer. Just stay 60 seconds longer than you otherwise would. You don't have to go up to say anything to anybody. Maybe somebody will come up to you, and if that doesn't happen, spend that time in prayer for all the people you see around you. Just take 60 seconds. and Stay just that much longer. Because the opportunity might come for prayer, for building each other up. We are bound together in an eternal fellowship whose value is inexpressible. Because Christ bound himself first to us, taking on human flesh, becoming our brother and friend, who died on the cross in that flesh, who rose again in that flesh, who ascended to the right hand of the Father in that flesh and will one day return in that flesh. And when that happens, we will stand together on the new heavens and the new earth, and how great will it be to see others receive the same reward of salvation that we are about to receive as we come before Jesus, to cheer them on and to clap and applaud as the good works that they did in this life in the name of Jesus are honored for all eternity. How good will it be on that day? But until then, we have each other. We have Christ working through us. We have the Spirit speaking to offer encouragement, to remind us of that forgiveness of sins, to remind us of our Savior. And in these little ways, until the day Jesus returns, our Lord gives us a taste of his own medicine. Amen.